Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be able to spend the time with you and to be able to share our journey through this, understanding these kind of foundations of faith and, and coming to terms with what the message of the Bible is with regards to the faith that we talk about, that we share, and that we believe in here at Christ Church. And we've come to the point uh, in our journey where we want to talk about baptism. Um, it's a really strange phenomenon, I think, for, for 21st century people. The idea, and the, probably the Christian church relates to the idea of baptism in two ways, really. Uh, it's either children who are being baptized or it's, it's adults who are being baptized. Um, I think if you read the Bible in one way, it's very valid to come up with one view. And if you read it in another way, it's very valid to come up with another view. I don't think the actual idea of which one is valid is actually the big thing. It's certainly not what I want to focus on uh, this afternoon. I want to talk about this big idea of baptism. Baptism that comes as a word from the idea of being ceremonially, I'll say that again, ceremonially washed or immersed. It's a big idea, and it actually goes back millennia, certainly back as we see Jesus being baptized here, and even further back, if you go back into the Jewish faith, what you see repeatedly through the Old Testament is pictures, ideas of being washed ceremonially. So how do we relate to that, and how do we come to terms with it? And what has it got to say for us today? I want to really focus in on one idea with regards to baptism this afternoon, and it's this. Baptism is all about identity. And I think identity is the one thing that humanity, all of us, are continually searching for. It's who are we? Who am I? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? We find our identity in all sorts of things, but I think the message of baptism has this overarching idea of identity which speaks so powerfully into the message of hope which the gospel of Jesus brings. So we're going to take some, some steps through the, the idea of identity. John calls the people, firstly, we see John calls the people to an idea of identity. Look at what it says in our reading in verse 4. Having already seen that this promise was made in the Old Testament, we read now, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was quite remarkable, actually. If we look back into the Old Testament, the idea of where faith in God came from and the need to be ceremonially washed, and if you actually go to the, uh, the, the uh, ruins, the remains of the temple or in various other parts of Israel, even today, you can see the historical remains of where people were ceremonially washed in pools, either before they went into the temple or before they conducted certain aspects of religious activity, before they sat down for a meal, before all sorts of things. There was this necessity to be washed, this idea of needing to be cleaned. 
In fact, Jesus speaks to lots of people. Like they challenge him about the idea of, of what it means to be washed on the outside. And he turns around to them and, and he says, actually, it's not the problem isn't on the outside. It's not what goes on on the outside that's the problem. It's, it's what's on the inside that comes out of us. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says that. And how do we get washed inside? Well, John begins the journey of understanding this because, you see, he's not talking about in his baptism people being washed so that they are ceremonially clean to do the next bit. Actually, as we see there, he is say, he's talking about being washed for the forgiveness of sins. Later on, uh, a, a historian called Josephus after the Jewish people had done lots of thinking about this idea, he reflected on what John had been writing. He comes to this conclusion, or rather he writes down what the Jewish people had concluded about John's baptism, and it's this. He says, For immersion in water, it was clear to John, could not be used for the forgiveness of sins. Rather, it was only if the soul was already purged by right actions. In other words, John is calling people to say, you need to be righteous, you need to commit yourselves to righteousness. Begin this journey of righteousness by immersing and identifying yourself as being washed, as being cleaned, as being committed in your identity, in who you are as people, he's saying, be committed to the idea of being immersed in the pursuit of righteousness. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? What he's actually saying is, please understand that you are not righteous by nature and you need to recommit yourselves to righteousness. That's the amazing message that Jesus brings, and that John brings, rather, sorry. Uh, and so John is calling people to say, claim that identity. Look at the lives we're living. Are we living the lives that God's people are called to live? Is the trajectory of God's people pursuing the righteousness of God? No, so let's recommit ourselves. That's the dramatic breathtaking message of this strange character, John the Baptist, who I'm really looking forward to, by the way, in a few weeks, looking a little bit more at this man, John the Baptist. It's a baptism of identity, which is embracing our need for repentance. It's embracing our need for the forgiveness of sins. It's embracing our need for the pursuit of righteousness. That's what John is doing. The amazing moment comes as John is baptizing people, calling people to that identity. The amazing moment comes when Jesus comes to John. John had been expecting, he had been prepared for Jesus to come. He'd already explained to the people, there is going to be somebody whose sandals I'm not worthy to even unloosen. That's a picture of him being a servant. I'm not worthy even to do that. And then Jesus comes to him, and he asks John to baptize him. 
What's John saying to the people who are to be baptized? He's saying, understand that you are unworthy and needing to be forgiven. You are unworthy and need to turn to righteousness. And here we have John who is saying, or as Jesus approaches, this is what you need. Then Jesus turns up and says, that's the baptism, rather. That's the baptism, John, that I want you to bring to me. John is blown away. He can't come to terms with this. He understands that Jesus doesn't need to take on this identity. In fact, one of the other accounts in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. That's what Matthew tells us. He goes so far as to say, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? That's John's dilemma. I'm not even worthy to unloose your sandals because I know that you are righteous, and yet you are doing what? And here's the amazing thing in the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is claiming the identity of the unrighteous. He's saying, this is who I place myself with. I place myself alongside those who need to pursue righteousness, who need to have their sins forgiven. That's incredible that Jesus should say, I need to have my sins forgiven. Because of of all of the messages in the Bible, one of the things that's really clear is that Jesus had no sin. In fact, Paul later on, when he thinks about, possibly even thinking about the whole journey of Jesus, beginning at this moment of baptism, he says this, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, 21, he says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus claims the identity of the sinner. It's breathtaking. And as Jesus claims the identity of the sinner at this moment, We could almost say from this very moment, the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus, is sealed. From this moment where Jesus says, I align myself, I claim the need for forgiveness, he is saying that's where I am and that secures the cross. It means that the cross has to happen. It's an incredible moment in the history of of the Christian faith, in the journey of God in salvation in the world, in this moment where Jesus says, I align myself with sinners, and now the cross is inevitable. Even though we read elsewhere that even before the world was created, God knew that the cross was inevitable. This, This is, if you like, the human moment where Jesus aligns himself and says, that's my identity. That's an incredible thing that Jesus does. But the next thing that we see in the whole of the journey of Jesus, from this moment where he claims the identity of sinners, 
is his identity as the Son of God is continually being revealed. Where does it end up? Where does that life of Jesus end up? It ends up with him hanging on a cross and dying. And if that was all we knew of Jesus, if that was all that the story of Jesus contained, it would be hopeless, it would be useless, it would be ineffective. But here's the thing. If Jesus aligns himself with the identity of sinners, the divine, holy, righteous nature of Jesus, his identity as the righteous Son of God is greater than his identity with sinners. And it works out like this. Because Jesus aligns himself with sinners, he inevitably becomes one who, as we read elsewhere, God judges and finds guilty of sin. But in that moment, there is an assuredness that even though he dies, his righteousness will defeat death. He rises again. The final judgment upon sin, which we see on the cross, is overwhelmed by the greater righteousness and glory of Jesus when he rises again. Jesus' true identity is finally, ultimately, and completely revealed as he rises from the dead and he says, this is who I am, and in this identity, I have secured hope. From this moment, yes, from this moment of baptism, the cross is assured. But from the moment of his death, his life in resurrection is also assured. You know, the thing is, this isn't in the storyline of the Bible, in this idea of salvation. This isn't a surprising turn. This isn't an unexpected outcome that Jesus ends up aligning himself with sinners, dying and then rising again. Isaiah speaks about this. Isaiah 25, we read this. I think this is so powerful for what we're talking about, the resurrection of Jesus, when he says this. He will swallow up death forever. Isn't that incredible? How does Jesus swallow up death forever? At the very moment where he dies, it looks like death has swallowed him up. And yet when he rises again, it, it becomes very clear that he has now swallowed death up. He will swallow up death forever. What's the outcome of that, according to Isaiah? The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. That's hope, isn't it? The victory of Jesus reveals his identity. So, here's the question. If that's what Jesus' baptism is all about, how, how is it that Christians still get baptized? Why do we do this thing? Is it some sort of initiation? Some idea of being in, in the gang or whatever it might be? 
There's all sorts of secret initiations to become part of something, allegedly, in all sorts of different organizations throughout history. The thing with baptism is it's not a hidden thing, is it? It's a very public thing. It's something that goes on. Maybe you've watched your friends be baptized. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've been baptized in the past and you're not where you know you want to be now. You're reflecting back on that moment maybe many years ago and thinking, it meant so much then, what does it now mean? Here's what Paul reminds us of in terms of baptism when he writes to the church in the Colossian, uh, in Colossae, Colossians chapter 2. We read this. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. That's taking those who believe in Jesus back to the Jewish idea of circumcision, this idea of being marked as belonging. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. That's really complex, so let's, let's kind of work through that little bit of text from, from, the back, from the back to the beginning. Saying this, Jesus was raised from the dead. And then it's saying that by having faith in that Jesus, you are saying that you align yourself with him. In fact, you immerse yourself in him, you baptize yourself in him, you are totally overtaken in your identity with his identity. You are immersed. In fact, these, this is one of those verses, I think, where probably the words that Paul is using here are not actually talking about physical baptism. They're talking about the faith that immerses us in Jesus, which then works out with the idea that we want to express that, we want to declare that by being physically baptized. We've taken on the identity of Jesus. We've immersed ourselves in him. We claim his identity. And in claiming his identity, we claim the hope of being raised from the dead. For those who embrace Jesus in faith, we take on his identity. And we proclaim it, not with a hidden act, not with clever words, but by a simple act which says, I will be baptized. I will align myself and declare to everybody. But one of the amazing things about baptism is it doesn't require incredible intelligence. It doesn't require a particular language. It doesn't demand a particular environment. It is the most simple activity 
which says, Jesus is my identity. So what do we do with this idea of baptism? Well, one of the interesting things about John's baptism is he was calling people to be baptized. Some people were baptized into that baptism of righteousness for the forgiveness of sins. Some people committed themselves to that and probably many, many people ignored the message of John and they didn't want to change. They, they didn't want to submit to being committed to a life of faithfulness to the God who the Hebrew people had worshipped. And really, I guess, every time we observe, every time we think about baptism, we are confronted with exactly the same thing. We are confronted with the opportunity to align ourselves in faith with the hope that Jesus brings. But we are also confronted with the need to be forgiven. You see, that's what ties our baptism with John's baptism. The need for forgiveness. And in fact, Jesus doesn't find forgiveness in the baptism of John. It's why he finally bears the sin in punishment from God. That baptism wasn't effective even though he pursued righteousness. He had aligned himself with sinners. And yet we are saying that we also are part of that clan, part of that humanity, part of that rebellious aspect of humanity that needs to be forgiven. And when we claim that faith in Jesus, when we take that step of saying, I believe that my hope is not in me, my hope is not in my identity. My hope is not in what I can create, but rather my hope is in the one who was raised from the dead. We are also saying that the only way in which I can take that identity on is by recognizing that I need also to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. It is the most peace-ensuring experience to know that we are truly forgiven, to know that the past will never overwhelm us, and that the one who knows all things forgives us. That's what baptism declares. That's what we believe our hope is in. Uh, thanks, everyone, for sticking around for the chat um, on baptism. Uh, first of all, a few observations about the talk, um, Paul. Uh, I'd really rather you referenced, uh, this, is a, this is a light anecdotal observation, you referenced circumcision. If, you, if, if you're one of these people who's nervous about baptism, you should be thankful that you live in <laughs> New Testament times uh, because baptism, even though the water here at Christchurch is sometimes cold, um, it's better than, it's better than that. I think um, another observation would be, and I could I could have got this wrong, but um, 
I think, I, do, I can't imagine that there's been many baptisms in the last six or seven months. I don't know. I would imagine that social distancing would mean that that wouldn't be possible. So, um, then, and I'm, I saw, I, I half say this because I wonder if there are people sat um, watching in at home who, for, who aren't baptized, who may be trying to work some of this stuff out. Um, and there might be a bit of a rush on when we get back. So I would encourage you to maybe not just because, um, not just because you can't, but just, you know, maybe think some of those things through. And lastly, last observation, you touched on the idea of identity. And it strikes me that so much of our, so much of the last, I don't know, last decade of, of human history has been about identity. And I, I hadn't readily associated that much of my Christian identity with my baptism. There's, I mean, I, you know, there are, you know I, I do a little bit, but there are loads of other things that I associate my Christianity with. And yet it's a really helpful thing to think about, isn't it? That this is, this is a real mark of us and who we are, like a bit of a fork in the ground, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think one of the key things in that is that our identity isn't in that moment of being baptised. It's a bit like it's a bit like John was calling people to repentance and righteousness, and and as Josephus recognised, it wasn't that that moment made them righteous; it's that they had been committed to that. And I think baptism works like that as well. It's our it's our commitment in faith to Jesus, which is our new identity which we then proclaim in baptism. It seems to me as though the two things that the church are absolutely commanded by God to maintain until he returns are two physical activities. Yeah. We're called to be baptized once and we're called to share communion regularly. And we'll declare this until he returns. We, we read about communion. And I think... I think that that works in the idea of God's kindness to us in a way which is just there to continually remind us of our identity because we forget so easily. We get sucked into another identity or we pursue our identity in all sorts of other ways. But this, this fundamental change of who we are is, is what's actually at the heart of faith in Jesus. So he gives us two things to do yeah yeah those two things to do and it, that's right it's to do isn't it rather than to say or to yeah whatever um, it might be there's lots of the te- you read through lots of the text of the bible and it sort of jerks at you or points at character change or you know things like that question you know causes you to rethink yourself but actually in terms of things that it asks you to do there's not lots that the bible that, that god through his word would yeah. command us to do and say look you need to you need to own these things mm. in order to mm. identify yeah, that's right. uh, with the Christian faith. That's right. And, and actually, they're, they're amazing in that they are so, they're so powerful in the way they communicate. They're so simple yet so powerful. As we read in, in Colossians, Paul recognizes that being baptized, which is why I, I personally feel that baptism is about being immersed in water, is because he talks about the idea that we are baptized, we are immersed in the grave that Jesus died in and then raised again to new life. Um, And in the same way, bread 
and wine becomes a reminder of, of the death of Jesus. And it's, it's almost as though the two things are bookending the ministry of Jesus, his baptism and his death. Yes. Which is, which is quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. And yet they're all meaningless unless he rises from the dead. <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of my ref- reflections was, I guess, um, and I don't know if, if you're watching, if, if you're a Christian at home, there's been lots of times when I, would, when I have said prayers, sort of salvationary prayers, when I, I look back probably from, the, from quite a young, scaredy, mm. sort of working out his faith, 12-year-old kid, Tootle, mm. whenever, when I've said prayers where I've said things like, or let me, where I've tried to turn back to God. But one, as, as you were uh, explaining that and preaching that out, I was reflecting on, actually, off, off one of the things that I've been able to do, um, was look back on my baptism as a bit of a point where I did sort of, ident- I did, not that it's a, a fork in the ground, so to speak, but I could look back on that moment and go, well, I, you know, I have, I, cl- I lay claim on some of the things that you were talking about. Mm. I have gone to a point where I, I've tried to accept mm. some of the wrong stuff in my life and mm. not just deal with that on my own, but deal with that in Christ in sort yeah. of a public way. And it's been something that I have been able to look back and sort of hold on to as yeah. a... That's, a, that's really great. I think, I think, to be honest, I've probably only begun to realise that later in life, even though I was baptised when I was younger. Um, the implications of what that meant back then have just kind of grown and grown over the years and you understand more of what it what it meant what it means and yeah yeah it's incredible to, to see that our faith in Jesus it's not a static moment it's an ever growing thing and and I I don't know what what your experience of salvation was in the sense of feeling as though there was a moment I, I don't I can't say that for me there was a moment when I came to faith in Jesus. Um, I, was, I grew up in a Christian family and I kind of don't remember a time when I didn't believe, but I, I recognize times when I don't haven't lived out that belief. And I think faith for a lot of people is that growing realization that this is where I am yeah. and I've made that change somewhere back there. And, and for, for, for many of us, baptism is the moment where we, yeah, we own it. Yeah, I could point back to a prayer. I could point back to prayers, but I, I could more easily and with more conviction point back to other times when I'd realized that God had, God had been faithful. Mm. You know, I, rec- I can look back and say, oh, there's a faithful journey. Yeah, in yeah. That. I, could, I could say, oh, that prayer there from, yeah. from that that 12-year-old kid who didn't know very much. but I, I th- And I think God is faithful with those, those sort of moments, but it, yeah. it's, it's clearer for me to look back at yeah. a bit of a journey. Just got a couple of questions that it might be worth us trying to think out, mm. might be helpful things. You talked about this a little bit in, in the talk. Do we need, what do you need to know um, to, to be baptised? Do you need to know everything? Um, is there a... You, you, said you, don't, you said I think you said one of the great things about baptism is that you don't you don't need to know very much how little can you know i think one of the great moments in fact i was thinking about this when you asked whether um maybe maybe there's people who aren't being baptized at the moment given the current situation i think one of the amazing moments is where philip baptized and baptizes an ethiopian and 
he's obviously been searching for a long time, um, trying to come to terms with this nature of this God who the Hebrews worship. He'd been to the temple, he wouldn't have been allowed in fully because he, was, he, was, uh, he wasn't Jewish. And Philip explains to him in what could only have been at most a few hours, he just explains to him that Jesus is riddled throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, he's constantly there in the journey of salvation. And the, the Ethiopian seems to say, I believe that, and I know I need it. And it seems to me that that's at the heart of what it is to be baptized, to recognize the, the true identity of Jesus, to recognize that he is the Son of God, that became present in the world and that I need to be forgiven and, and it works out somehow mm. through him. Mm. So Jesus himself says that our faith requirement is a, as tiny as a grain of mustard. So not a lot. So not a lot. Yeah. And as, as an addendum to that, I think you'd look at that story of the... It's really worth a read. It's in Acts, Acts 4, I think it is. Acts, um, yeah, well, well worth a look at this guy who's, who asked this brilliant question, what stops me from being baptized? And whenever I read that, or certainly when I read that when I was younger, I would think is, they were looking for water, but I don't think that's as much the issue, really. Mm -hmm. I think it was just this guy that was this really unlikely guy to be getting baptized. Mm -hmm. As you say, not a Jew. If you mm -hmm. read the passage, you had a load of other things probably yeah. going on yeah. in, the, in the background, and yeah. yet Philip says to him, after scratching his head, we don't know how long for, nothing. Yeah. Nothing stops you from being baptized. Mm. So I think that should, if this is some, something that you're, it's in your back of your mind and you're thinking about thinking through at home, you should realize that the Bible does say um, with very little knowledge, but, but faith, mm. um, anyone can be baptized and turn, yeah. turn back around. Yeah. And because of the essence of what it is, because it's a, it's a, it's a being washing clean, it's a recognizing who you mm. are in Christ mm. and those kinds of things, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, last question. Uh, mm, this is a tr tricky one, I think. Have you ever had a time when you thought it'd be better that somebody didn't get baptized? Um, that they were too old or too young or, or they didn't know enough or anything like that? Is there, has there ever been a moment when you thought... Um. That's a really tough question. <laughs> I think uh, that's a, that's, uh, that wasn't scripted. No. <laughs> um, I, think, I think if somebody claims a faith in Jesus and asks to be baptized, it's not for me to work out whether they should be or not. I think within that, there are, there are as... as over the years, particularly as a, as a pastor, you've had times when you've had concern over whether that baptism is, some, is, is truly a heart change. But that's not my job, I don't think, to work out. Yeah. Um, and and what, where do you end up with that is you just pray for that individual. I, I think, have I ever... I've, I've certainly on occasions encouraged somebody to think about it a bit more yeah. when you have conversations and you, you, 
you, you dig into, as Philip is doing with, with the Ethiopian eunuch, you dig in and you explain and you, you, you actually wonder whether the true nature of, of faith in Jesus has, has, has kind of is realized. So I think, I think there's times when I can encourage somebody to think a little bit more. I'm trying to remember whether they then got baptized. I can't remember. Okay, I think that's a really helpful um, finishing point. I think the idea that you, um, if this is something that you are digging away at, then don't stop. Um, no. Don't stop digging away at that, at that thought. Um, and mm. if that uh, progresses, which would be amazing and it's... it's it's kind of it's God's idea, so it, it could very well happen. If that's something that progresses for you, then uh, get in touch. Yeah, It'd definitely. be amazing at Christchurch if our first service back, hmm. um, which will be in a while, uh, um, would be a baptism service. That so would be just amazing. Bear that in mind and uh, yeah, praise God. Uh, get in touch with us if if that's the case. And yeah, just because uh, think about that. That's that's bit the the. The revelation to me has been that that is, is a great thing to have as your identity. You can't... I think one of the hardest things about identity is keeping it up. That's what I'm finding. As I, get, as I get... As we get older in life, you try and... put my trendy top on and you try and um, keep this identity up and try and work at it. But actually, if that's your identity, then you can breathe. You, know, yeah. you can really relax because it's... the hopes in Christ, yeah. the strengths in Christ... And you don't have to cover stuff up because you've already gone, this is me. Yeah. I know I'm not perfect. You can, you can mm. point to the moment and go, look, there, there it is. It's I know I'm not perfect and I know I'm not going to be perfect in the future. Yeah. Mm. So maybe that is um, something for you to think about. Let's just uh, pause on that and if you'd pray with me. If, you, if you're somebody who prays, then pray with me just now as we close. So, Father, um, we thank you that through Jesus, through Jesus' acts and through Jesus' person and through who he was, uh, we thank you that our identity, we thank you that our identity is wrapped up in him. Uh, so we thank you that we, though we want to be changed and transformed, we don't have to look at ourselves in terms of rightness and righteousness and access. We have it in him. Father God, we thank you for those marks. We thank you that uh, Jesus took on our sin. We thank you from the moment that he got in the water, he identified with us. And we thank you that we serve a Savior who was pulled out of the water and in whom there is life and light and hope. Father God, we turn to that Savior just now and ask that he would keep us in these troubled times and pray that we will continually find our identity in that hope. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cheers, Paul. See you later, everyone. Take care.